my God, Trevor, it's the first episode of One Hit Wonders of the World. Hey, Maxton, it's great to be here on the first episode of One Hit Wonders of the World. Hey, what's our podcast called? It's called One Hit Wonders of the World. What's your name? My name's Trevor Ickrath. My name is Maxton Stenstrom. Who I'm, are you? Who are you? Why are you in my house? I'm a writer. I live in LA. Uh-huh. I am on a podcast called Hallelujah Monkeys. Yes, which is so good. I advise everyone who's listening right now to listen to Hallelujah Monkeys. It made me a gorilla's nerd and also inspired me to, to start this podcast. I'd recommend it to anyone. It's it's so good. Now so, say who you are. Uh, true. Good call. My name is Maxton Stenstrom. I make music as uh, Infinite Freefall among a host of other aliases uh, and this is One Hit Wonders of the World. And uh, this is the first episode. I can't believe it. I'm so excited to, to be doing this right now. Um, I want to talk about the rules of One Hit Wonders of the World. I feel like the definition of a one hit wonder is kind of nebulous. It is. Like, it's very nebulous. It's, it's almost kind of arbitrary. But you have kind of whittled it down to a system that you're going to use when you're selecting songs for this podcast, right? Yes, yes, yes. First absolutely. of all, what, what are we going to be doing? What is the point of One Hit Wonders of the World? So the point of One Hit Wonders of the World is basically for you and I to venture through musical history history and explore collective consciousness to unearth legacies of the most underappreciated culture cultivators, one-hit wonders. Every week we're going to be tackling a different one-hit wonder and talking about how it was made, what went right with it, what went wrong with it, how people reacted to it when it came out, how people react to it now, and uh, just getting more of uh, the listener's perspective on these things in addition to the stories of these one-hit wonders and trying to add an extra dimension that way. Uh, so without further ado, I'll get into the rules. Rule number one, the artist may have no more than one, or two in special cases, entries on the top 40 of Billboard's Hot 100 chart. If they have any more than one, or in special cases two, they're ineligible. Rule number two, the song must have been released five years ago or more to ensure that another hit for an artist is kind of unlikely at this point. Rule number three, featured guest guesting on established artist songs does not qualify them to be a one-hit wonder, even if that feature is their only chart appearance. Uh, the example I have here is Beyonce featuring Jack White, Don't Hurt Yourself. Jack White does not count as a one-hit wonder. So those are the rules, and uh, I want to get into the mission statement a little bit of uh, One-Hit Wonders of the World. And uh, I want to talk about these forgotten legacies of these cultural touchstones through the lenses of listeners. It's a show about one-hit wonders, but on a deeper level, it's also a show about how we as a society collectively process information. It's a show about the concept of fickle celebrity, and it's a show about the fast times, blazing highs, and dismal lows of the music industry. But it's just as much about the listener's perspective as it is the artist's story. So I'd like to uh, begin this episode with a question for you, Trevor. What's that, man? Uh, <laughs> where do you want to go when you die? die, 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 die. That's a really good impersonation. That's my favorite part of the song, but we'll talk about it. Maxton, our first episode is going to focus on Spirit in the Sky, Norman Greenbaugh's 1969 uh, kind of country gospel yeah. glam rave up. So, so weird. Can we? T- can, before we even get into this, can we talk about how weird this song is? I've never heard another song like this in my it's entire really life. It's really cool. It's really yeah. kind of, it's definitely seminal to a kind of sound that I think would like kind of like go on to influence kind of like maybe like psychedelic like absolutely uh, bands that use kind of religion as a thing like uh spiritualized like in yes. Man three and that kind of stuff totally it's kind of got almost like a weird kind of 
cult preacher vibe too that uh, I think other like contemporary artists like maybe like even like Father John Misty have kind of tapped into? 100%, absolutely. I wanted to uh, explain why we picked this for the very first episode. Uh, I believe this is arguably the quintessential one-hit wonder. Norman Greenbaum lived the life of a one-hit wonder and he even calls himself that on his Twitter page. It also is like the first result whenever you Google one-hit wonders or search it on Apple Music or Spotify. I think it has one of the biggest legacies of any one-hit wonders. So, without further ado, let's get into our opinions and our experiences of the song. I like the song a lot. I think it's really cool. Cool. I always enjoy hearing it pop up every now and then. Like, yeah. Uh, when it was in Guardians of the Galaxy like yes. a couple years ago. Yes. Very well used, very cool. Like, I was on board. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Small addendum from Maxton. After Trevor and I recorded this episode, uh, I think probably two weeks later, I saw a commercial on TV in a hotel for Lyft uh, featuring Tilda Swinton and Jordan Peele. And it also features Spirit in the Sky by Norman Greenbaum. They're in space. Weird commercials. Look them up. Give Norman Greenbaum his residuals. And it was used perfectly because, I mean, this song makes me feel like I'm in a spaceship taking off. There's definitely that spacey vibe to it. Blasting into the cosmos. Right. You were telling me that you you can't really remember the first moment you you heard this. You just kind of grew up with it. I think that's going to be a recurring theme in this podcast. Like (laughs) this song, I've just known it for as long as I can remember. I don't remember hearing it on the radio and going like, whoa, what's that? Yeah. Or like, yeah, just it's always been there kind of in the background of culture. Yeah, exactly. That's that cultural consciousness thing. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about uh, my first experience with it. Uh, I uh, I think I first remember hearing it in the Almighty movies, Bruce and Bruce Evan Almighty. Al- and yeah, Evan Almighty. Yeah, so those were, I mean, I haven't seen them since I was like 12, so I can't really comment on the quality of those films. Uh, but I liked them then, and they turned me on to that song. For me, the song always had kind of an outsider vibe to it. Like, this guy had just been briefed on Christianity 30 minutes ago, and he got so amped and wrote this song about it and kind of got a few things wrong. It's also definitely the happiest song about dying that I've ever heard. But it's also not happy. It's kind of weird and soulful and psychedelic all at once, you know? It's almost kind of, like, uh, reflective. Yes, a little bit, a little bit. All right, so let's get a little bit into the backstory, into the making of Spirit in the Sky and the story of Norman Greenbaum. So it's 1969. Well, let's, let's rewind even further. Let's okay. talk about okay. his early musical influences. He said they were somewhat incongruous. Uh, he, he talked about growing up with folk, Delta blues, and jug band music. Uh, before he was in any band, he played guitar and sang in coffee houses while attending Boston University and then moved to L.A. in 1965 to form Dr. West's Medicine Show and Junk Band, a psychedelic jug band. Band members wore face paint and played instruments like the washboard, the whiskey jug, the kazoo, and automobile fender while bathed in colored lights. And uh, what was the hit that they had? The hit was called The Eggplant That Ate Chicago. And I know I've heard this song. You haven't. I I can assure you it sounds exactly like what you would expect a band called Dr. West's Medicine (laughs) Show and Junk Band to produce. Do you want to listen? Do you want to take a listen to a couple, I, I, I a, do a little want, bit of it? I do want to listen to a right, second let's hear what, uh, Let's me... hear what the eggplant that ate Chicago sounds like. Uh, yeah. The eggplant that ate Chicago. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yep. <laughs> those really annoying... Um, those, Harmonicas. Yeah. No, oh, like the kazoos in the background. And at the end, he actually goes, we're all in trouble. It's in trouble. Oh. <laughs> 
It's really bad. <laughs> I mean, the 60s were such a different time. That's about it, though. Oh, Norman. That's... Oh, Norman. Yeah. It's pretty self-explanatory, pretty classic apocalypse song. You better watch out for the eggplant that ate Chicago, for he may eat your city soon. Mm-hmm. If he's still hungry, the whole country's doomed. Yeah. Pretty much uh, it goes on like that. Yeah, the world's ending uh, because of some eggplants. Is that? I, I think I read on Wikipedia this is about alien invasion. Is that a is that a metaphor for an alien? Is that what know. it is? Maybe it's a prequel to Spirit in the Sky. The eggplant that ate Chicago did not reach the top forty. Shocker. Uh, <laughs> okay, so so let's talk about how Norman Greenbaum got discovered. While he was playing a solo show at the Troubadour here in Los Angeles, a producer for The Love and Spoonful approached him and was interested in signing him. The biggest influence for Spirit in the Sky was a country singer named Porter Wagner. After Norman Greenbaum heard one of his songs about a preacher, he was inspired by the challenging subject matter to try and make a country gospel song of his own, and that was the impetus for Spirit in the Sky. Another influence he cites is the dominance of AM radio in his youth. In Boston, where he grew up, you could sometimes get Chicago and New York, but sometimes you could get Texas and West Virginia. AM country and gospel and folk revival and southern blues planted the seeds for Norman Greenbaum's appreciation of the mix of genres that appears in this track. He says uh, he, quote, wrote the lyrics in 15 minutes and the music in six months. I read that too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Definitely feels like a 15 minute song. I yeah. Think. Like he went, oh, Jesus, this seems this seems profitable going up to the spirit in the sky. That's where I'm going to go when I die. Um, the, here's, here's some interesting things about the early stages of the song. He tried a jug band version, not unlike uh, Eggplant That Ate Chicago, mm-hmm. a folk rendition, and even a Delta Blues-inspired incarnation. But with all of these, he was not able to get the sound he wanted. So the crunchy guitar sound came when a friend built a small fuzz box into the body of his Fender Telecaster. He talks about that guitar uh, because he sold it. Right, he and sold it anonymously. Yes. He went to, uh, he was kind of going bankrupt. Yeah, after he was that. going super broke. We'll get a yeah, little. We'll, we'll get more into that later. Yeah, we will get more into yeah. that later. But um, that was how that uh, that kind of weird fuzzy. Uh, guitar tone came and it's interesting because i thought that, that was like a Rhodes keyboard i thought really? that, yeah i thought it was a distorted Rhodes oh, keyboard definitely not. that's I, like that's like that's some that's like some classic like t-rex shit it does have a little bit of a t-rex vibe to it i'll talk about t-rex later though. yeah we will talk about t-rex later we will talk about t-rex later uh so the oakland-based stovall sisters came in and recorded backup harmonies for the song and those are those female voices you mm-hmm. hear in the background yeah. doing that yeah when i die it's really, yeah. really cool. Uh, I'll just read this big quote. Norman says, We specifically mixed it on small speakers so that it would sound good in a car. We were smart enough to know that, and I remember having the conversation with Eric, the producer, saying, It's got to sound good in the car. People drive and they listen to the radio back then. There were no cell phones, and you had to stop and make a call. Life was way different. The radio in your car was it. Wherever you went, the first thing you did when you started your car was turn on the radio. And that was one and two, and three didn't matter. And this is a great song to hear start up when you're starting your car up, much like a spaceship. Um, Whenever they first heard the single, Warner Brothers, uh, the label that signed them, they didn't think it was going to do anything. So before Spirit in the Sky was released as a single, they released two other singles that tanked and then finally agreed to Spirit in the Sky. Uh, Norman Greenbaum said... 
First of all, it was too long. It's about four minutes, which was longer than the average of two and a half minutes for songs that was on the radio at that time. Plus, it was so weird. Here's a Jew singing about Jesus with this fuzz box going. That fuzz tone, you can't get it out of your head. Even to this day, I'll be walking around and I can hear it somewhere. Question for you, Trevor. Is writing a song about Jesus while Jewish selling out? I think they're definitely, it does resemble selling out to some point. I feel like they're definitely more offensive, like um, examples (laughs) I can think of than like just this. Although to be fair, if he doesn't accept Jesus Christ as a savior, he's not going <laughs> to go to the place. He will not place. go to spirit no. in the sky. So. He, no, he will but not I mean, if he wants to make a couple of bucks saying that he's going to, that's fine. And the thing is, I'll even give him a pass for it because he had an interest in country and gospel music. You know, like mm-hmm. he wasn't, it wasn't purely just for the money, though, though he did select Jesus because it would probably be a little more profitable than any Jewish God he could have picked. Any Jewish God. It's just one God. Yep. And it's the same God, too. Monotheistic. Yeah. 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 Here's a question I wanted to ask you, though. Sure. Um, do you think uh, rock music is a force for God or the devil? Because I've seen, <laughs> I've seen, I've seen both sides. I've seen like sides saying like you know, rock music is the devil's music. But I, I've also heard like mm-hmm. that rock is like you know pure and it can be used to defeat evil and like what? The, and the and like rock music can be used to banish the devil. So what do you think? I, do you think rock music is uh, like holy or do you think it is demonic on the whole? Uh, okay. If, I was raised in um, the Christian church, uh, so I know probably a little too much about this religion. I went to Catholic school for 12 years. Yeah, oh, yeah. all right. Yeah. So we're, we're both, we're, mm-hmm. it's all Christian in here, or ex-Christian rather. And uh, I, I heard it way more being talked about as Satan's realm mm-hmm. whenever I was coming up than mm-hmm. I ever heard it as a... You know something holy. Like I heard, I heard way more about the back masking and stairway to heaven than I ever heard right. about. Even like Christian rock, you know, like that, you know, the classics. I feel like there's always going to be that element of like Satan, like you know, ACDC Highway to Hell. Mm-hmm. Like there's, mm-hmm. it's subject. shout out the devil. Yes, it's it's subject matter that rock music finds entertaining and explores. So I'd have to say it's a little more uh, aligned with the devil. If so, if what, do you, it, if it's so what do you one. so what do you make about Greenbaum like uh, singing about? Uh, having a friend in Jesus and so, Jeff Mangum, you know, and I love you, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, Jeff Mangum! I forgot about Neutral Milk. I think we can. Out. I think this song technically counts as an influence on uh, in the airplane <laughs> of the sea, right? You, Jeff Mangum knows you gotta have a friend in Jesus. You absolutely have to have a friend in Jesus. I love you, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Semen stains the mountaintops. Okay, let's get on to what went right. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the instant success of Spirit in the Sky. Uh, It sold what Norman Greenbaum recalls as around 2 million records. During live shows, Norman Greenbaum says, people actually couldn't get enough of it. And at times, we did 30-minute renditions of it. That sounds actually fucking, like, sick. Like, I would be so (laughs) down. Like, I'm a, like, for some, like... You know that I kind of like fish, right? Yeah, I do know you, you kind of like I'm fish. I'm into the idea of artists stretching songs that have the potential to be oh, jammed yeah. on to obscene lengths. Like, I think that's pretty oh, sick. Yeah. I don't know if I would need half an hour of Spirit in the Sky, <laughs> but like a 12-minute version, that would probably rule. I would enjoy seeing that in a live setting. I would, I mean, I I, I, I want to do some snooping and see if I can find any of the 30-minute or even any, any performance longer than 10 minutes of Spirit in the Sky. I feel like it's probably a lost cause considering how long ago that was yeah and the actual song is so short and it fades out 
during the guitar solo. Okay, but like, and you have to think about this. In 1970, four minutes was long. I know, I know, I know. know? But it was weird that it's always going to be weird to me that it fades out during the guitar solo. It feels like another chorus is going to come in after that, but it's really just like a guitar solo outro. I like that. I like it too. I just wasn't expecting it. You know, when you think fair, about a lot of fair. when you think that's a lot fair. about like um, one hit wonders, I think most people don't have like a strong like beginning and end to the song in mind. Like, because whenever yeah. you hear like a one hit wonder, it's already playing. Do you know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. Like, I wouldn't be able to tell you like if you had asked me yesterday before I like crammed for this episode, <laughs> I would not be able to tell you how like um, Spirit in the Sky ended. I wouldn't be able to tell you that it ended with a guitar solo. Really? Yeah, I really? could probably tell you that it had a guitar solo in it. Yeah. I just didn't know that that was how it ended, it, I guess. It, it, is a, it is a bit of a strange ending. I think more people will usually use guitar solos as bridge material than, than, than outro material. I don't know. It just doesn't feel like an outro to me. So um, I would love to find a 30-minute rendition of Spirit in the Sky. If you have one, you should email it to world at gmail.com. I need that, please. I don't expect you to, though. So it's fine if you don't. Greenbaum's favorite success of this era was playing a show in Hawaii with the Moody Blues and the Doors. What year would that have been? Would that have been like 69, 70? I think, I'm going to say 70. I think it was either 70 or 71. I think in the immediate aftermath of Spirit in the Sky. Right. He's probably getting, you know, really good opening gigs and sick headlining gigs. The Doors would have been pretty big by that point, too. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know... Would have been great for Norman Greenbaum, but, you know, he probably just played Spirit in the Sky for 45 minutes and then left. Yeah, I mean, that's what I would want to see him do. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, because, you know, he's got to do Eggplant That Ate Chicago he does as need the to, encore. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. for sure. For, for, you know, an hour. Yeah. <laughs> you know, fan service. <laughs> I can't wait to talk about One Hour My Sharona featuring Bradford Cox, but that's Definitely. for a later episode. Definitely. That's for a later episode. So... Despite all this, from 1970 to 1973, Norman Greenbaum was a goat breeder and farmer with his wife in Petaluma, California, while still juggling, touring, and recording. He had a bunch of goats and sold goat milk and made some money that way. Uh, So I have two questions for you, Trevor. My first question is, it's the 1970s and you have a hit song on the radio. What is your side hustle? 1970s. Yeah. It's kind of a hard question. I would want, I think I would want to like own a club. Oh, that's a good one. That'd be pretty cool. That's a good one. That's a good one. Different kind of acts in there every night. Yeah, that's a great way to use Mm -hmm. that money that you Mm -hmm. would probably make from that song. And that's a great way to probably boost your, boost your profile. Uh, Norman Greenbaum started farming because his wife wanted to farm and he was like, yeah, I'll do it. Norman Greenbaum seems like a chill guy. It's down to go with anything. What would your side hustle be? (laughs) I've been thinking about this. I feel like... In the 70s? Journalists still made money in the 70s, right? Yeah. For some reason, my brain is telling me I would like to be a journalist. And, like, do what Henry Rollins does for the LA Weekly and just write columns every Mm -hmm. week about Mm -hmm. whatever bullshit I think is interesting. That's what I would love to do. What kind of band would Infinite Freefall have been in the 70s? Oh, God, I don't know. You would have definitely been, like, a disco band or something. Oh, You would have been, like, Casey and the Sunshine Band. Yeah, and I would have been doing disco way too long, like, after the disco backlash and after it stopped being popular. I would have been like... Fuck it. Still doing disco. Don't care. Still good. My other question for you. uh, In your opinion, do you think Spirit in the Sky connected with more people in the 70s because we were a seemingly less secular society back then? And do you think a song like this could still crack the top 40 today? I can't imagine what a 2017 era 
Spirit in the Sky would even look like. Me either. Yeah. No clue. Would you agree with me in saying that society was a little less secular in the 70s? I don't know about that, but I think the kind of like uh, message here uh, kind of must have resonated with a hippie movement that they were just coming <laughs> yeah. off of. Yeah, the counterculture was going for, you know, this was this was probably about two years before the peak of it in like mm-hmm. 1972. Let's get on to what went wrong. The downfall of Norman Greenbaum. Uh oh. Uh oh. Through much of the 70s, Norman was touring with his band and they released subsequent albums and singles, but none of them were ever able to reach the heights of Spirit in the Sky. Just and couldn't do it. I was reading some of the interviews he sent me. Uh, mm-hmm. The thing he said was because why that never happened was because everybody was expecting a yes. Spirit in the Sky part two. Yes. What do you make of that as an excuse? Because I see where I he's coming it. from. I get, I get it. it too. I, get I it. feel like it's also a little bit of a cop out. Yeah, of course it is. A because little like bit of a cop out. Yeah. If you if you could, you you would have made some. Not not like you know people like things besides Spirit in the Sky. You could have made something <laughs> else that people could have liked. You just you know didn't. Yeah. Uh, I have a quote here from Norman Greenbaum that says, My writing moves change daily. I tried to make as many songs as I could that were different from the ones before it. Some say that was my downfall. I'm, I would maybe have to agree with them. But, uh, you got to stick to your niche sometime. As someone who also likes exploring writing moods, I can relate to that a little bit. So, you know, I feel for you, Norman. I have a, a little question and answer tidbit from an interview here uh, where, you know, he basically repeats what you says. The question is, why was there never a follow-up to the Spirit in the Sky? And he said, well, there were follow-ups, they just weren't hits. And then the interviewer said, probably because everyone was expecting a song that sounded just like Spirit in the Sky. And he said, you got it. Boy, do you got it. Boy, do you got it. <laughs> Boy, do you got it. Boy, do you got it. So after that, Norman Greenbaum put out two more records for Warner Brothers, but when they didn't really do anything, he was ultimately dropped. Bummer, dude. Sorry, Norman. After this, Greenbaum describes a quote-unquote five-year search for a record label, which ultimately proved fruitless. And I have a long quote about that to read to you. I don't like to get into it because I don't want to talk behind people's backs. Some are alive and some aren't. There were two deals on the table that were swept off the table at the very last minute, even past negotiations. That I can talk about. It had everything to do with the goats. Everyone was convinced I lived in Petaluma and raised goats and music was a secondary thing. But these two deals were while I was living in L.A., not more than six or eight blocks from either of these record labels. That's how close I was to them in West Hollywood. It was very strange. Then I got involved in a couple of other projects and nothing really seemed to go. Everyone wanted me to walk in with Spirit in the Sky Part 2. Maybe then they could have gotten over where they thought I lived, but it was so wrong and it was so frustrating that I had to give up. Bummer, Norman. Yeah, that's a, you hate to hear stories like that. That's a shame. It's, it is sad. You want you know success for these people who kind of shaped culture a little bit. So, frustrated, he gave up music, lost all of his money, and went to work as a cook in Northern California. He said, quote, I thought, well, that's it. I was broke. What else could I do? You can't ride another spirit in the sky. So I'll do this. I worked my way up from cooking hamburgers to being a soup chef to being a kitchen manager with writing menus and cutting meat. I was okay with it. It's a solid, solid living. Like, he, he's very, like, humble about it, too. Like He, he found went, a life post Yeah, yeah. Uh, so my question for you, Trevor, what job would you take after you lost all your money and fell from grace? It would have to be somewhere in a different state than where it happened. Oh, totally. Um, oh, I've always wanted to work in a bakery. I've always <laughs> wanted. I have cool. this plan, okay? Cool. I have this plan. If I ever want to, like, <laughs> escape my life, I would fake <laughs> I would fake my own death. Love it. And I would go to a landlocked state and I would work in a bakery. 
I would be the only employee of the old man who owns the bakery, and he would teach me how to be a baker, and I would live in, like, the loft above the place. Oh, that's great. And eventually he would die, and it would become my bakery. You would inherit the bakery! I would, and one day my um, parents would come in. Uh, they'd be together. Where are you going with this? They would be together, and I don't know why, because they're divorced. Right. And I don't know if they'd be looking for They wouldn't be looking for me because they think I'm dead. They're just in, in this bakery together. They're going somewhere, and none of us recognize each other. Like, neither of us recognize each other. <laughs> Not because of the fact that I like look different or anything, or right. they look different, just because we're different people now. That's so sad. <laughs> you really came with the appropriate answer for that. I prompt. wasn't. I wasn't expecting to pull that out, but that's just something I've always had in me. Like, yeah, if I ever need to start over, I want to move to a landlocked state and be a baker. And I'm pretty sure this would happen at some point. Well, you heard it here, folks. If you want to find Trevor Aircraft in 40 years, go to Nebraska and try to buy a cupcake. Uh, what came next? In 1970, whenever John Lennon had just left the Beatles and the Beatles had just broken up, he was giving a quote-unquote Beatles breakup interview to Rolling Stone magazine, and he was very critical of the recent works of many of his peers, including Bob Dylan and his ex-bandmate Paul McCartney. But he professed to liking the then-current radio single Spirit in the Sky, stating that, quote, he always likes simple rock and nothing else. And that's where I have to disagree with you, the ghost of John Lennon. This is not simple rock. It really this doesn't is feel so like that. Weird. It really doesn't feel like Why that. Why does he call this simple rock? That doesn't check out. Is to it because me. like the rudimentary, the rhymes and stuff like that, maybe, and the repetition? That maybe. And I it's like you know, it is like a verse, chorus, verse, guitar thing. But I mean, like, perhaps it doesn't. It's like I don't know. It's. It has a sound all its own, I definitely think. I completely agree yeah. with that. It's a it's a mix of genres we haven't really heard before or heard since. It's very of its own universe mm -hmm, almost. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I disagree with you, John Lennon. That is not simple rock. Do you you think he just said that because he just got done writing all the Beatles albums? No, I think he does like simple rock because um in the seven like late seventies and early eighties, like some mm. of his last stuff was very simple rock, kind of like back to basics, like okay. just like Stuff like that. So I think he does like simple rock. I don't think I was super, like really supposed to be a backhanded compliment or anything. Yeah. I just don't know why he would use that as a descriptor for this song. Yeah, me either. Me either. No, but who knows what John Lennon was ever thinking. I mean, look at I'm like the walrus and stuff like that. John, come on the podcast. He was probably just trolling people in that interview. That's like all John Lennon did. Yeah. John Lennon lived for the drama. We have the John Lennon expert here in the studio with us today. Very thankful for that. Yeah, nice of you to come in. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's something that I read in an interview that I want to argue with you about. Uh, this interview said, Spirit in the Sky became the blueprint for the glam rock sound, especially the music of Gary Glitter and Alvin Stardust, who ripped it off shamelessly for My Kukachu in 1974. You want to talk about that? I, haven't, I actually haven't heard that song. I'm Maybe familiar with Gary it? Glitter, but yeah, let's listen to that song right. for a minute. One of the autocomplete results is My Kukachu, Spirit in the Sky. So let's see. I heard about Oh yeah That took a second Also you should come around to my side of the computer and Look at this music video where he's just pointing at the camera I'm good just, Okay. I'm good So yeah I would say this is a pretty Definitely they were listening to Spirit in the Sky In the studio This man has 
a leather jacket and leather pants and leather gloves. All right, so so let's talk about glam rock. You know more about glam rock than I do. I t- like glam rock a lot. You know, I yeah. love David Bowie. He was big in that scene. Um, cool. And before I mentioned T-Rex. Yes, you did. Yes, yeah, you did. Um, are you familiar with T-Rex? Bang a gong? I know bang a gong. Yeah. I know... Uh, that one song, <laughs> Deborah. Uh, Deborah was in the Baby Driver sure, soundtrack. Sure. I know that. Th- those are the two T-Rex songs I know. So I've like spoken to you about this a couple times, and it's going to be something that inevitably recurs on the podcast. Uh-huh. Often when I get one-hit wonders, I think about more popular bands with larger discographies that this song could possibly fit into. Absolutely. And I figure like you know if this one-hit wonder was by this other band, we wouldn't need people like Norman Greenwald, yeah. which yeah. sounds horrible. <laughs> it does. But it like, does. you know, in a world where this song was done by somebody else, Norman Greenwald could have just like, you know, could have worked in a restaurant all his life. He could have just, just done his goat thing. He would have been fine. He would have been perfectly happy. He could have just kept making some jug music. I always thought that this song could like just easily, easily be a T-Rex song. Yeah. You know, fucking hate to like fucking Norman Greenbound. And maybe this is his song, all his own yeah. song, because he was the one who came up with that like yeah. special reverb or echo or whatever. Yeah. But like, if this was a T-Rex song, it would fucking rule. If I saw T-Rex cover this at a concert, <laughs> it would be like fucking awesome. Are they still active? I don't think so. Mark uh, okay. Boland is dead. Ah, that yeah. kind of prevents bands from being active. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm going to refrain from agreeing or disagreeing with you just because of my very limited knowledge of T-Rex. But um, but it's just like, you hear this song, you're like, wow, this is great. I want to listen to more music like this. I'll check out this artist's catalog. And you get like... Jug music. Yeah, and you get like Norman Greenbaum <laughs> stuff. I listen to a couple songs uh, in preparation for this I episode. I did not. Right, I, I listen to a couple from uh, his, the Definitive Anthology. Yeah, which is called Spirit in the Sky. Right. That I do know. Yeah, and the first song, Junior Cadillac, is really cool. It's like this funky little horn-led number. But I mean, like, imagine like hearing Spirit in the Sky and going, I want to listen to this guy's other stuff. And then you get the T-Rex discography. <laughs> like, it'd be, I don't know. But like I said, I think... From everything I've read, Norman Greenbaum, he came up with the way it sounds. Like all yeah, he totally. could do, he was the only one who could do that reverb or whatever. And yeah, that, he, he's that, earned it. Yeah, I'll, he I'll let him stay in the musical <laughs> canon. We won't give his song to T Rex. This song actually topped the number one spot in the UK three different times uh, by three different artists, which I think is really interesting. There's not a lot of other songs I know that you could say that about. People really like Spirit in the Sky. People, people really like people really like playing Spirit in the Sky and making so. new versions of it. The three acts are Norman Greenbaum, Doctor and the Medics, and Gareth Gates. All of them got a UK number one single by singing Norman Greenbaum's Spirit in the Sky. So Norman Greenbaum was pretty much broke and forgotten about until 1987, whenever he allowed Spirit in the Sky to be used in the 1987 film Made to Order. Since then, it's been used in more than 30 major movies, and there's a New York Times article that notes that every time a song is placed in a high-profile slot, he gets at least $10,000, which affords him a two-bedroom apartment in Santa Rosa, California, where he lives. Hmm. So now I have an incredibly long list of every movie uh, that Spirit in the Sky has been in, according to Norman Greenbaum. You can find it on his website, spiritinthesky.com. What do you think about that as a concept? <laughs> what, spiritinthesky.com? Having a, having a website for a song that you... No, it's, about, it's, it's a Norman Greenbaum website. But I know, yeah. I know. Having, yeah. having a website for one of your songs and updating it with information like, oh, it was in this movie. What do you think about that? <laughs> I, I, I'm Norman Greenbaum do it because that's how he cashes checks. That's how he lives. Sure, now, you sure. know, like it's just an interesting little thing to keep up. It is, it is, and I, I don't know. I, it, 
in an alternate universe where I am Norman Greenbaum, I would probably do the same thing because I would want to keep that list too. I would want to know because, you know, no one else is going to keep it for me. I am the Norman Greenbaum super fan. You know what I mean? <laughs> sure. You know what sure. I mean? Like you can, you can even go on there and they're like forums and it's like you, there's a there's a Norman's Corner. I love Spirit in the Spirit Sky. SpiritinTheSky.forums.com. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. So... Here is every movie that Norman Greenbaum says Spirit in the Sky has been in. You're not going to read all of them, are yes, you? Yes, I am. Why? Made to Order, Apollo 13, Ocean's Eleven, Saving Grace, Angel Baby, Household Saints, Wolves of Cromer, Simple Plan, The Sandlot, Two, Superstar, The War, Handgun, The Longest Yard, Hallelujah, Essay Moi, Open Season, Michael, Evan Almighty, The Secret Life of Girls, Summerhood, Sunshine Cleaning, Gonzo, December Boys, This is the End, Lovelace, Guardians of the Galaxy, Miami Blues, Contacts, Wayne's World 2, Lesser Evil, Remember the Titans, Universal Soldier, my name is Joe, the EastEnders, Huntress, Fly to the Phoenix, Breakfast with the Hunter, Withblade. Pretty sure it's Witchblade, but there's a typo on Norman's site. Sorry. Bonsai, The Event, After Lame, a skateboard movie, The Dish, Encino Man, Opal Dreams, Montgolfier of Death, My Big Fat Mooney Wedding, MVP, Stringoy, W, and St. Vincent. Thank God that the podcast app has that little fast forward 15 seconds thing. <laughs> Why weren't those in order? I read one column and then I read the next column. Okay. Because like you read like Guardians of the Galaxy and I was like, oh, thank fucking God we're done. And then you were like, remember the Titans? And I was like, wait, <laughs> where are we? It's formatted kind of weird. There's two columns. Above. Well, thank God it's over. Uh, well, no, it's not. Oh, now no. I'm going to read all the television commercials and shows. Why? It's been in. Why? Uh, because I want someone to hear a movie that they heard the song in or hear sure. a TV show they said they heard the song in. So you might have heard Spirit in the Sky on Shameless, Swingtown, House, My Name is Earl, Morning Joe, Everwood, Head Cases, Law and Order, Crossing Jordan, The Office, Beverly Hills, 90210, Gideon's Crossing, The Drew Carey Show, American Pie, Nitro Circus, Medium, Supernatural, One Tree Hill, Big Love, commercials for TNT, Nike, Gatorade, Infinity, Enron, Toyota, American Express, Bell South, Yahoo, Dodge, and HBO. And there are some cover versions other than the ones we already mentioned by the Stovall Sisters, Larry Norman, the Mike Curb Congregation, Nina Hagen, Bauhaus, Fuzzbox, Blue Mink, the Kentucky Headhunters, Elton John, DC Talk, the Five Blind Boys of Alabama, and William Shatner. Did you listen to any of those covers? I didn't. I listened to a couple. Do you want to? Yeah, talk about yeah, them? yeah. I listened to the uh, Elton John one, which was. You were mentioning that to me. Pretty straightforward reading of it. Kind of maybe a little more bouncy. Mm-hmm. He doesn't do the guitar reverb echo thing nearly ooh, as well. It just doesn't ooh. sound as good. I listened to the Bauhaus one. Okay, how was that? Are you familiar with Bauhaus? Vaguely. They're though? like one of the seminal goth rock bands. They do a great song called Bella Lugosi's Dead, which is like eight minutes of light drums that sound like bat wings. I'm glad like that you're here to talk about echoey guitars never, and stuff. I'm really into goth music. Right I know now. you are. Yeah. Stand a goths. Like, I know uh, you are. Yeah. And it's just the singer going, dead, 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 Bella Lugosi's dead, and stuff like that for eight minutes. But we digress. Do you want to, can we Can we listen to their cover of it for a second? Because I don't think you're going to like, like it. it. <laughs> okay, cool, yeah. Bauhaus. Cool. Google already knows what I'm about to Google. Thank you, Google, for listening to my conversations and giving me autocomplete results based upon that. Let's give this a listen. What? This is weird, right? Yeah. Goth shit, dude. Bow, 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 bow. Place that's the best. 
can't say that I like this yet. Is this is one better. This is no. <laughs> this is it. They do a drum thing. They do a drum thing. Hang on. I'm gonna skip ahead. This is what it sounds like when goths cover songs. <laughs> they do a, they do they also do a cover of uh, Ziggy Stardust by David Bowie. Just kind like that. Of, it's a little better, but it gets a similar treatment. So I listened to that one. Of course, I listened to the William Shatner one. Did you listen to oh, that? Oh no, I didn't. We got to listen to the William Shatner one. Let me, let me, let me fade that in minute. real quick. Yeah. Is it good? It's. Uh, is it the best cover? You'll you'll listen to it. Oh yay! Or is it the are worst? You, are you cover? familiar with the way he covers music? I'm f- no. Okay. Well, then you're gonna hear it. <laughs> You haven't heard his Peter cover Frampton of like. Peter Frampton is on this song. Yes, you haven't Peter? heard like his cover of like Rocket Man. Okay. That was that was the first result though for yeah. this YouTube search. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's hear this. This is this is pretty faithful. Like this is recognizably mm-hmm. spirit in the sky at least. Is he gonna talk? You'll you'll hear it. Oh, he's gonna talk. They do the guitar they thing! Do, they do that. They kind of nailed that. Wow. When I die and they lay me to rest, gonna go to the place that's the best. This is great. When I lay me down to die, gonna go up to the spirit in the sky. I love this. Going up to the spirit in the sky. That's where I'm gonna go when I die. When I die and they lay me to rest, gonna go to the place that's the best. That's I, William Shatner. I, I love this. Yeah, all right, so there's one more that I wanted to talk to you about. Okay. And that is a version that I found on... This remix, right? 35 Jock Jams 2, Stadium Anthems, parentheses, Workout Mix. You, where, did, where the hell did you find I just this, I just plugged Spirit in the Sky into uh, Apple Music and saw what came up. Let's have a listen. What? Right? <laughs> no way. This is fun. No way. It kind of sounds like you're in a video game and like Norman Greenmount is a final boss that you're fighting. While this sounds dated as fuck, this is the closest thing we're ever going to get to 2010's yeah. Spirit in the Sky. These fucking synths! They're so good. Norman Greenman final boss fight. <laughs> and now the vocals come in. My big problem with this is that he's doing the swing wrong, I feel like. It doesn't feel like he's in the pocket of... I feel like he, like, listened to an instrumental of the original and then got in that pocket, but he's not in this pocket. He's not in this pocket at he's, all. He's, he's hanging in the pocket. Anyway. It's fucking synth, I can't yeah, believe anyway. this. Anyway, moving on. 35 Jock Jams 2. Get it in your life. Oh, you know what it's time to talk about? 9-11! Great. If any of you haven't heard of the 2001 Clear Channel Memorandum, go look that up. It is the most entertaining thing you will see this week. After 9-11, Clear Channel, an owner of a lot of radio stations across the U.S., 
put out a long list of songs that they felt were kind of questionable in the moments surrounding 9-11. This list includes Spirit in the Sky, and it also includes Free Fallen by Tom Petty. Yeah, there are a lot of stuff yeah. here that you would have to really, really, like, yeah. stretch to tangentially relate yeah. to the events of that day. I mean, like... Smooth Criminal by Alien Ant. No, exactly what I was about to mention. Like, why is that on there and not the original Michael Jackson version? I don't and know. And then let's get into every song by Rage Against the Machine. Sure. They, they, they just said every song by Rage Against the Machine should not be played on the radio. And then there's like Walk Like an Egyptian by the Bangles. Why? Why? There's a, some weird Beatles songs in there too, like Obla Dio, Obla Da. Yeah, don't get that one. Ticket to Ride. Yeah, no clue. Oh, that one I kind of get. Because you get a plane ticket? I guess. Like, that's real it's, dumb. It's such a stretch. Like, you can tell that they were just like, nah, let's just ban things. Let's ban things yeah, on the radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Gap Band with You Dropped a Bomb on Me. Not what happened on that day. Filter with, hey man, nice shot. I love that fucking song. I can't believe that's on that list. I didn't know that was on the list. I love that song. Why is Santa Monica by Everclear on the list? Anyway, 2001 Clear Channel Memorandum if you're in the mood for some ridiculous bullshit to laugh about. Uh, the song is also now used for the starting lineup of the Anaheim Angels baseball team. Whenever they're playing at Angel Stadium, they will play Spirit in the Sky to introduce the players on the home team. I think that's pretty cool. So now we're going to talk a little bit about the communications that Norman receives about this song. Some, some anti-fan mail and fan mail. More than the Jewish community being confused by a Jew writing a song about Jesus, super Christians will still email Norman Greenbaum and give him flack for the line, never been a sinner, I never sinned. It's a big claim. It is a, it is a large claim, claim that kind of rejects one of the fundamental tenets of Christianity. And so, like, Jesus is out there, like, you know, protecting, protecting prostitutes that are in the rocks thrown at them, saying, like, let he who among us has, who has not sinned throw the first stone. Right. Norman Greenbaum just walks right up to the <laughs> right up to the front of the crowd with a big rock in his hand. <laughs> I've never, never sinned, sinned, Jesus. No. I've never been a sinner. I've never sinned. What a load of garbage, Norman. Come on. Come sure, on. dude. So according to him, whenever people do that, he'll write back and answer truthfully. You know, I flubbed that part. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? <laughs> you can't change it now. So, you know, live with your mistakes and all that. The other fan mail he gets is lots of people who are dying, like baby boomers, will reach out to him and talk about how the song is particularly popular at funerals. He says he also gets letters from funeral directors telling him that it is their second most requested song to play at memorial services next to, can you guess what the number one is? Amazing Grace. Ooh, that's a good guess, but no, it's Danny Boy. Oh, right, Danny Boy. <laughs> Danny Boy. The pipes are calling. Yeah. I had uh, a question I wanted to ask you that. Sure. It's your funeral. What song do you want them to play as they lower you down into the ground? At one point, I had like a serious playlist I really wanted to use for when I would die. Like you would play the whole thing at mm -hmm, my funeral. Mm -hmm. Just one song? Just one song. Can you do yours while I think about this? Well, I don't want to have a funeral. I want uh, I want my body to be wrapped in a bag and just thrown out into the woods from a moving car. <laughs> but from the radio of that car, I want to be playing uh, Woman by Wolf Mother. Why? It would be fucking badass. <laughs> can we play a little bit of Woman by Wolf Mother? Yeah, we can. It's a fucking sick song. <laughs> okay. Song that I would like to be lowered into the ground to. Um, 
looks at my iTunes. My answer is like really serious. I don't like it. I want a better answer. It's this really pretty alluvium piano piece called Repose in Blue, and it's nine minutes long, and that's what I would want to play at my. I don't have a funny answer. It didn't need to be a funny answer. I just was. I was curious. Yeah, that's probably pretty high up on my list of things that I want to play at my funeral. Norman Greenbaum said in an interview that he doesn't really have a lot of plans for the future. Quote, I've had my run. I'm almost 60 years old. There's not a hell of a lot of interest in me touring. I think about it. It's hard to answer that. If I had a new album and there was something to promote, it would probably be easier to get it done. But then there's the matter of it's not going to sound the same, and I fear that. Once I realize that everyone loves that song the way it is, they don't have to hear it any other way with different players and my voice maybe not as strong. What's been happening is these compilation labels have been putting things out and I have the website and I get enough royalties from sitting on my ass. I don't care. I'm divorced. I don't have to pay anymore. It's an okay life. There you go. And you know? It's not a happy ending, not a sad ending. It's an okay just life. Just kind of an ending. You know? You know? Yeah. It, 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 and, uh, that's all you need. Yeah, absolutely. So... That was uh, that was one of the most recent interviews I could find from him. And uh, the last time Norman Greenbaum was in the news was in 2015 when he was a passenger in a car accident at his home in Northern California. But he's okay. Currently, he has a Twitter that he updates every few months, posing with other entertainers, posting bobbleheads of himself, and posting links to free Mac antivirus software, because Mr. Greenbaum is a man of the people. His Twitter handle is Norman Greenbaum, and his Twitter bio is simply One Hit Wonder. <laughs> When do you think, what do you think is going to happen when he dies? <laughs> what do you think it's going to be like? That song's going to chart again. Oh, for sure. That song is going to chart again. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Norman, I hope you don't die, but just know, whenever you do, we're going to give you some posthumous royalties right there. You can rest easy and know that your estate will just be completely loaded after that. Let's get into the outro. Something that we're going to do for every episode is create attributes for each song and rate these attributes on any scale that we desire, but the scale has to be the same per host per episode. This is one of the, I think, the more fun ideas you've had on the show. I'm really looking forward to seeing what we come up with every week. Absolutely, me too. Since you already know mine, I'll go ahead with mine. I decided to rate my attributes on a scale from one to 10. I give the angelic choral voices in the background an eight. I give the crunchy Rhodes that's actually a guitar with a fuzz box a 10. That's the best part of the song. I give the ending guitar solo a five. And I give the likelihood of Norman Greenbaum going to Christian heaven a four. Very nice. Yes. Very nice. Now, how about you? I gave the uh, galactic reverb a nine out of 10 because I just awesome. love that. Awesome. So yeah. cool. One of the yes. coolest things I think anybody has done with a guitar on a song. I'll say it. Word. Cool. Give the clumsy drum rolls a six out of ten. <laughs> I just love the way this song kind of like shuffles along once totally. the like, actual percussion comes in. Totally. Uh, the state of my friendship with Jesus Christ, I gave a four out of ten. <laughs> cool like sport. I don't know if he would recommend me to the spirit <laughs> in the sky, but I guess we'll see how things go. So you and Norman probably just yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe not getting in. And the likelihood that our ship holds together as we clear the planet's atmosphere, I give us a 50-50 <laughs> shot. Five cool. out of ten. Cool. That's pretty good. I, I, it, it seems like you're going to get out of there unscathed. What's, maybe. Maybe. Hey, 
That's it. We've reached the end of the first episode of One Hit Wonders of the World. Can you believe it? We got one in the can. We got one it in feels the good. can. It feels does good. Feel no, it nice. feels good to make something. Yes, absolutely. I would encourage anyone who's listening to make their own podcast. It's such a nice release. It's don't make a, it. Don't make it about One Hit Wonders. Don't. Though. No, that's that's my thing. Don't, yeah. don't. don't make it about gorillas either, because that's my thing. <laughs> right. That is your thing. So uh, those two are taken, but the rest of the podcast ideas are completely on the table. You should do a podcast about bad movies. I don't think anybody's done one of those yet. Is that layered sarcasm? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That idea is off the table for you guys, too. Don't even think about it. Thanks for listening to the inaugural episode of One Hit Wonders of the World. We both really appreciate it. Uh, You could find us on Twitter at at One Hit Wondercast. You could also reach out to us via email, onehitwondercast at gmail.com. And just tell us how you feel about One Hit Wonders. Yeah, we really want to get people reaching out because we'd love to get some other voices on the show. Absolutely. If you hear we're going to be talking about a song, send us an email about it. Send us, like, you know, if you want to do a little voice recording, we can play that on the show. We'll splice it in at the very end. Right. We'd, yeah, love, to we'd, love, to, we'd love to get some other voices on the show. Um, to emphasize that, uh, Maxton, what are we going to be talking about next week? Next week, we're going to be talking about No Rain by Blind Melon. Right. Their 1992 hit. But until then, I've been Trevor Agrath. I've been Max and Stenstrom. Until next week. Stay wonderful. Stay wonderful.